One short uh, thought to share with you in the beginning here. Praise the Lord, first of all. Praise God for assembling together in his great name, the name of God, the name of Christ. Wow, what a joy. Wow, I'm so happy and thankful for the fact that the church uh, is ordained of God to um, live, to testify. Let's turn to uh, Matthew and read that. Uh, 18, Matthew 18. I'm sorry, where are we? 16, Matthew 16, yeah. Verse 17. Jesus answered and said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. The church, the church is that group of people that have the Spirit of God, and we know who Jesus is. Like some say he is a prophet, right? Some say he is Jeremiah or Elijah. But no, Peter said, verse 14, some say you are John the Baptist, some Elias or Elijah, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But who do you say he is? I'm asking you. The great I am. Who is he? God. God. Who, who is Jesus? Yeah, well, I, I have a story. We had a brother, we have a brother uh, in Turkey. And he lived in the eastern part border. And they're driving to Istanbul with his mother-in-law. And he's playing a movie in the car. Um, and it was the Gospel of Luke, I believe. And his mother is a Muslim, of course. They're all Muslims there. And um, who is Jesus? He is a prophet. He is a prophet. Who is Muhammad? He is the greatest prophet. He is a prophet. Who is Jesus? He is a prophet. So he can't convince his mother. So he's playing the movie on the trip across the country. You know, it takes many hours, even days, to drive from Eastern to, to Istanbul. At the end of the trip, he said, she said to his mother, Who is Jesus? She said, He is the Son of God. <laughs> yeah, the movie worked. Well, we hope it wasn't the movie alone. We hope it was Jesus who spoke to her heart. Yeah, who is Jesus? This is the world says many different things. You know, Thomas Jefferson, our third president, lived in France. That was where the Age of Enlightenment was dawning on the human race philosophically. The Age of Enlightenment or Age of Reason. No, Age of Enlightenment. And uh, and him and Ben Franklin. They both were deists. They didn't believe that Jesus was the Christ. So Thomas Jefferson took the Bible and cut out all the parts in the Gospels where Jesus did miracles or it testified of him being God. Because he liked Jesus' moral teaching, but he didn't accept and believe that he was the Son of God. What do you think? Oh, Thomas Jefferson. What did he think? What do you think? 
Who do you say he is? And Simon Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he said, Flesh and blood. What's that mean? Flesh and blood. It means the local library, the professor in the university, your mother or father. Flesh and blood has not revealed that to you. But who? My Father in heaven has shown you that he is the Christ. How about you? Yes, you. I believe you know that. You know it. Can we know it? Here's a good question. Can God be known? Can you know God? All right, you may know the name, but do you know the person? How about anybody here know who is, uh, oh, let's say Abraham Lincoln? You know who he is? Have you ever met him? Have you gone to lunch with him? Do you know him? I know about him, but I don't know him. Do you know Bill Clinton? I know about him, but I don't know him. I never did anybody here. Maybe. Yeah. So can you know God? I can know about God, but can you know God? How about it? Jeremiah 9.23 says that we boast, not in our might or our wealth, but we boast in this, that we know him and understand him. What a gift. So let's read what happens here in this text. It says, And I say unto you, you are Peter upon this rock. Now Peter, the Greek word is Petrus. It means a part of a rock or a stone. Peter is not the rock. When you say the rock, maybe you've seen the rock of Gibraltar, the edge of Spain, this huge rock. You know, it's, that's who Jesus is, not Peter. Peter is a stone. And later he writes in his epistle that we are living stones built upon the foundation of Christ. I will build my church. And this is the last part. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Can the gates of hell prevail? What are the gates of hell? The government of hell. The gate is a place of government where you close the door, open the door, where the elders would meet in the ancient world. You had the gates where they would meet. And when he says gates of hell, he means the government of hell will not be able to shut down the church. You can't shut it down. Because the spirit is in us. And it's not government. Government cannot prevent the Holy Spirit from coming into us and filling us. So let's play with that for a minute. Gates of hell can prevail against what? A person can prevail against, can destroy a person. The government of hell can destroy a group of people. Government of hell can uh, overcome, put out of business a university, put out of business a company. Toyota. Do you think Toyota can endure the gates of hell? 
turn to your neighbor and ask them, can Toyota be overcome by the devil? Oh, forget about your neighbor. Listen to me. <laughs> I believe that there's only one thing in this history of the world where God will say you cannot overcome it. You cannot stop it. You cannot extinguish it. You cannot destroy it. And that's the church. What is the church? It's those that know who Jesus is. Who is he? Not a prophet alone. He had, you know, it's interesting. In the epistles, they never say, talk about Jesus as a prophet. They always talk about Jesus as God, son of God, high priest. They talk about him as intercessor, savior, brother, Hebrews 2. But it never refers to him as a prophet, though he was in Deuteronomy 18.15. Yes, he was. He could predict the future. He told about the future, but he, he, he had the spirit of prophecy, but he's not referred to in office that way. I think because they didn't want any confusion about it, that he was not simply a man who predicted the future, but he was the Son of God. Okay. So... Um, that's the that's an introductory word okay do you have a bible verse in your mind just now could you recall one a bible verse in memory, a Bible verse in your mind, uh, a word of love. I could say the word love. You know, our pastor who taught us, he said, if I say the word love, you should have three or four Bible verses come to your mind. If I say peace, I say white throne judgment, do you have the Bible verses in your mind? And we would be like, not yet. We don't have them in our minds yet. Maybe one day. But he, he said, you know, that's the direction that we're going as a church. That you would actually have the word in your heart and in your mind. Uh, we're going to speak about the word this morning, but I, I want you to look at a verse. Why I sometimes, I don't want to do it as a, a, a carnal pattern of habit, but sometimes I ask you to speak to your neighbor, and this is why, Proverbs uh, 22, verse 18. If we could put that up on the screen, Proverbs 22, 18, yeah. It is a pleasant thing if you keep them within thee. This is the word, the context, verse 17, maybe we should put that up. Bow down thine ear, hear the words of the wise, apply your heart unto my knowledge. Bow down thine ear, hear the words of the wise. Now you have come together in the church, and the ladies' seminar yesterday was amazing. I, I was Rachel uh, Yanowski, Isabella Palmieri, 
all of the, the ladies that came, some came from New York City, uh, Massachusetts, Indiana, uh, uh, folks came. And uh, we, we just, this is the verse that, that kind of, like we could, we could say, this is our way of life. But I have a, a home, I have a family, I have my job. I, I, we know, we know, because we're all the same. We know we have a lot, but what do I, what have I given up to do this? Just an attitude, right? Bow down thine ear, hear the words of the wise, apply your heart unto my knowledge, apply your heart to it, like what you read, what you think about, who your friends are, and then go to the next one. For it is a pleasant thing if you keep them within thee, they will be fitted in your lips. Now, please keep, keep that there. If, if I get words of wisdom and I, I keep them in my, my heart, they will be in my mouth. They will be. They will come out of my heart at work maybe in a family gathering, uh, maybe when I'm here in the church, maybe, maybe I'm on the sidewalk or I'm hanging out with my sisters or brothers, and it's fitted, fitted in your mouth. Like, you learn how, how it goes. You learn how to talk. You learn how to talk. Now, I've been on the mission field for years in the past, and I realize this is something that not everybody, not everybody, it kind of goes in the heart, in the heart and the mind, but they, they, do they learn to talk like that at home? And I would say sometimes to people, you got to change your talk at home. You trash talk at home. You swear at home. You, you, Put people down at home. You judge. You get all worked up. You get angry with your family, your 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 sons and daughters, and you you get emotional. I tell you a funny little story with my wife. I had this box of chocolates. Okay, you know how the story is going to go right now, and it had it, it was powdered chocolate pieces with dark chocolate. You know, was like very soft a little and before I, I would go to bed sometimes if I wanted something sweet I would eat one or two of them I w- it looked like I was I guess I was the only one eating I got it at Christmas time so it's like really long like I don't do it a lot but sometimes so I go to the cupboard the box was gone okay you know what because I know my wife so pretty well what do you think happened she didn't eat them. She threw them out. Oh, yeah. See that reaction? See that? That's exactly how I felt. Even more, like on steroids. I look, oh. Where? I said to her, she's in the other room. Where's that box? And she's quiet. And she goes, it's in, the other, in that cupboard. And I go, not that, not that. No, the, the powdered... You know, the, she's quiet. Uh, so what, do I, what did I do? Just let it go. 
just let it go. It doesn't, she, she probably feels bad about it. I'm not going to talk about it. So I go my way. She's fine. I let it go. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not saying that everybody is to be like me, but I am saying that, that, that people in their house, they don't have the control over their emotions, and they get in fights. And I'm, I'm saying that, that there's something more in your life, and I want you to learn it so that it's fitted in your lips. And, and you know what happened? A couple hours later, my wife came and she goes, I'm sorry, I threw, I threw those out. I didn't even bring it, I didn't push it. But you know, you know what I'm, I just, I don't, it doesn't bother me that if in your house it would go a different way, only that I believe that there is great benefit in hearing and learning and applying and embracing and, uh, and relating to what it is that we hear. This has to work in my life so that it is fitted in our mouth. There, there it is. It will be fitted in your lips. How long does it take? Well, I don't know. Long time, maybe. Maybe a short time. But sooner or later, you cannot, like, swear like they do in the world. You cannot get on each other. You cannot destroy your marriage. You cannot destroy your kids. You know, if your dad was hard on you, probably you think that's the right way to be. Be hard on your son. But I'm asking you to think about it. Because there are the words of the wise. And they will be fitted in your lips. And you know, you can be hard on somebody at work. But don't destroy your son. You mean a lot to him. You're his father. Don't destroy your daughter. You mean a lot to her. Just love her, learn about her, listen to her. And I know it's hard because I've, I, I've done that. I, I mean, I've, I've raised a family, so um, I want to be helpful. And this is all that I'm saying this morning. I want to be helpful. And so let's go to our message here. Well, no, no, no. Um, would you stand with me for one moment? I want you to just change your position for a second and turn around and, and have a good word for your neighbor and love him up for a minute and then we'll do the message. So we want to teach a text of scripture from Second Peter chapter 1. I just want to make it clear that there's nothing in the whole world that can be compared to the scripture. When I say that, I mean this, this text here, this amazing book. 
that is the word. And Jesus, in his company, in his era, in that, that generation he was teaching, made it clear that they should know about David. Have you not read what David did? And that was a thousand years before Jesus. But he told them, have you not read what David did? as if they should know it well. And it's a thousand years before. Have you not read about Moses, which was 1,500 years earlier? He expected them to know. And that's like us, that we should know the prophets, the Psalms, the Proverbs. We had a great Tuesday here with a visitor um, Mark, Mark DeMoss, who spent the whole day with us, uh, and he, he spoke at different times, gave us advice and counsel, our board of elders and trustees. We had a great time with him, and his emphasis was on the Word and the book of Proverbs. We enjoyed it and got a lot out of it and enjoyed it, but... He was saying also in his message, you can check it on our website, the postings for the two sessions, the podcast, and then the evening NBCNS meeting, that many leaders, and he's experienced, and because of running a Christian PR company, um, Bill Hybels, uh, Jerry Falwell, Billy Graham, Franklin Graham, uh, Samaritan's Purse, Chick-fil-A, um, a lot of organizations, businesses, Christian. He ran a PR company and has been called to be into time of crisis and scandal. And he said how much leaders are proud, you know, in his experience. And how important it is for us to live by every word that comes from God's mouth. So in Second Peter one thirteen to verse twenty one, I will just make some comments verse by verse. So we'll read verse thirteen. Yeah, I think it meet as long as I am in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. It might not be clear to you but in the King James, but he thinks it's appropriate that as long as he is in the body, the tabernacle he's talking about is his body, as long as he's here amongst us, that he would stir up our minds by putting us in remembrance. So we have an important, an apostle writing about our to be stirred up in our mind. And we have the word remembrance. We are to remember something. Remember. Now some of us at the latter part of our life, and we can say, when we, when we were at the latter end of our life, we can say, I'm so thankful that, that I was taught the Bible. 
in the beginning of my Christian life when I was 19 years old. I'm so thankful, and it's sticking, the remembrance, remembering a verse from 30 years ago or 40 years ago or a church service where I heard a a life-changing message, and I keep it in my heart. That's a gift. That's a blessing to govern our life. And Peter is saying, I'm leaving the earth soon. He knew this. I'm, I'm leaving the earth soon. I'm going to be with Jesus. But before I go, I want you to, this to be in your remembrance. I want you to understand this. What does he want us to remember? You know how dying people call their family to the bedside and they give last words. And to be honest, to be frank, some don't have any words. Just that they're afraid to die. Or they're afraid of this or that, or they have a regret. But Peter is saying, no, I want to stir up your mind to remember something. You need to remember something. You have to realize something. And this is, this is Christ. Verse 14. So we're reading from 13 to 21. Verse 14. Knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, meaning I'm going to die soon. I'm leaving my body, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. Somehow he knew he would be dying, like soon, like it was the time to write his last epistle, to say something important, my last words. I went, this is what the church needs. This is what we need living in these troubled times. We have a vision in Greater Grace World Outreach in the Baltimore church. We have a vision to help others. We have a vision to bring the message of the gospel to other places. Pastor Shabelli will be going to Seacon next week. Um, we have a, a vision, or this week, we have a vision for, for Baltimore City in the area and so on, because the Lord, the Lord cares about people, and he, he has um, put us here. So what, did, what is Peter saying? Look at verse... Um, 15. Moreover, I will endeavor that you may be be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. Let's put this right down. Always in remembrance. What things? The doctrines. The way of life. Always in remembrance. Keep it always in your remembrance. You know, years ago, I went to a small Bible school in Maine, like some of you, uh, years ago. This is like 50 years ago now. And um, in course of time, uh, some people fell away from the faith, and they made fun of the Bible school. They make fun of it. They make fun of the church, or they make fun of their faith that they had at one time, or they ridicule, or they just say they were narrow-minded, or un- uneducated, or unenlightened, or something like that. I have the other view, exactly the opposite. That building 
on 224 Main Street in South Berwick, Maine, is like a shrine to me. It's a memorial. It's a sacred place. I could stand there in front of that building with a memory of having met God, of having eaten the Word, the Word delivering me, of having a pastor who was casual, carefree, loving, fervent, serious, a visionary, honoring God in our hearts. We learn that in Bible school. And Peter is saying, I'm leaving, but I need you to remember what it is that was imparted to you, what happened at your salvation, what happened when you started to obey God. Um, yesterday, it, well, the theme was he's at the door. Jesus is at the door knocking. And we could say, when, when I'm in the house, knock at the door. I don't have the energy to go to the door. I don't want to go to the door. I don't want to do anything. I just want to be comfortable in my, my, my life, in my way, in my life. I just, that's good. Jesus is there. That's good. But this is different. When you go to the door and he comes in and you dine with him and the spirit of Christ is in your heart and you're hearing him and he, you are fellowshipping, this is memorable. This is to be remembered and appreciated because he helps us. He kind of, with his eye, straightens us out. Psalm 32, verse 8. With his heart, we hear his heart and care about it. What's in your heart, Lord? What are you doing? What's in your heart? What do you want? You know, what is happening in your world? Not my world, your world. What, what are you doing? And, and many things could be said about that. I have 5,000 people that haven't eaten in a couple of days. Can you feed them? Oh, no. I cannot feed them, but I know you can. And Jesus said, what do you have? I have five loaves and two fish. That's it. Thank you. I'll take it. You know. This has to be part of our life, that, that Jesus is real in our life. That we can hear him. We are in fellowship with him. This is what Peter is saying here in, in a certain sense. We read, it, read the text, chapter 1, verse 16. We have not followed cunningly devised fables, That's another good phrase to write down. Cunningly. What do you think that means? Cunningly, cunningly devised. Smart people do this. They can make up a story. Science fiction movie. Smart people in Hollywood. Smart teachers, professors. They can come up with all kinds of things. Like, to be honest, in my view, 
evolution. I mean, there, nobody has an answer for how the world came into being, except like our, our view is God did it. God created the world, heavens and earth, and the living things, and man, and so on. But if you don't believe that, then you have to have something to believe. And this is common. Cunningly devised fables. These are like stories, theories even. They are clever. They are invented. But have we followed one of those? They may be aliens from outside that came here and and we, we came, whatever the story is, have we? I would say there are Christians that do go, that do say, oh, yeah, the Christian faith, yeah, that, that falls into that category of cunningly devised fables. But do you believe that? I mean, this is important. And if you are not strong in your faith, and you're wrestling with these things, and don't give up, but study, investigate, read. Come on, get answers. Be persuaded. Be convinced. This is the story of my life. I was a skeptic. After I became a believer, I even was a skeptic. After I became a believer, because one thing for me in my heart was, I don't want to believe a lie. I don't want to believe. I don't want to be misled. I don't want to believe, believe a lie. So here I am. How did it turn out? I worked it out. But I read a lot. I read a lot of books. I read a lot. I had to get answers. I read, and I'm so happy I'm with Enoch, but reading in itself isn't the point. It's like, do you want to know? If you seek me, you will find me. Ask, it shall be given. Seek, you will find. Knock, it will be open. Please, please, don't be here for five or ten years and then go out the door and just say, I don't believe. That happens. That cannot happen. Please, be a believer. But you, it's going to take time. Don't, don't be a believer because there's a group of people believing. Be a believer if you're the only one on the whole earth that you are persuaded, that you know this, that you believe it, you've proven it to yourself many ways. If we're going to go to Israel in a couple of weeks. And uh, that's a beautiful time, but it's great to go there as a believer, not as an unbeliever. But because of being a believer, you enjoy it so much and you come back with even more understanding. Because there's nothing that has surfaced archaeologically that has disproved our faith. It's continually reinforcing the truth of the scripture and our faith. So Peter is saying... We have not uh, followed these clever inventions. Verse 16. When we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. 
When was he an eyewitness of his majesty? The resurrection, of course, but he's talking about the Mount of Transfiguration. When he was on the Mount of Transfiguration, there was James and John and Peter with Jesus up at the Mount Tabor and appeared Moses and Elijah and Jesus, and Jesus turned white. He was white and shining. The glory of Christ was coming through his humanity, and Peter saw it and said, Let us build here tabernacles for these three. And a voice from heaven came and said, This is my son. Hear him. This is what he's referring to. It's here in verse 17. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. Does he have it in his memory? Yes, it's in his memory. Is he at the end of his life? Yes, he's at the end of his life. Does he have it in his memory? He does. Is he telling the church? Yes, this happened. But I give to you even a more sure word of prophecy. Look at verse uh, 19. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. This is the value. This is a sure word. Okay, word of prophecy. Let me explain that. When the voice came from at the Mount of Transfiguration, this is my beloved son, there was actually... At the Jordan River, we read, this is my, my beloved son whom I am well pleased. In Matthew 17, it is written, this is my beloved son, hear him. And here Peter says, we heard, this is my beloved son whom I am well pleased. In any case, that's the way it is written. And then he says, but also, also, we have the prophets. Which prophets? Isaiah, Jeremiah. We have a sure word of prophecy. Sure word of prophecy. But I haven't heard it like with my ears. When he was on Mount Transfiguration, he heard it with his ears. He heard it with his ears, but we have it written in our texts. And we read it in our text, and when we read it in our text, we hear it in our hearts. And this is sure. It's how we live now. And Peter is saying, this is what we have. Not cunningly devised fables, but we have the prophets. And what, what does he compare the prophets to? The scripture what does he compare it to? Verse 19. Whereunto you do well if you take heed, which is what we've been saying this morning. Take heed. It's another phrase let's put down here. Take heed. How do you take heed? 
This is my, I want to finish with the message, but I have a couple things to say here. One of my brothers, I called Hungary, one of the pastors in Hungary, said we did a little seminar with a group of people on reading the Bible. And we read a scripture and think about it and reread it again five minutes later and think about it. Maybe they wrote something down and reread it again and read it and then write it down or read it again. They did this for like 30 minutes or some hour. They were spent time. They spent time so that the word would become part of their meditation. I don't know how much we do that here in, in, you know, in our world here. I think we're so, I am personally very distracted. I am very much uh, busy. I'm very busy going from one thing to another. But I also have it in my background because I learned it this way in Bible school to take time to sit for an hour or two to be quiet to read it think about it meditate on it Peter is saying I'm leaving I'm going to die but I have to tell you that this is sure and that this is a sure prophecy and it, you do really well if you would take heed like pay attention to it. Have it in your vocabulary. Have, when he knocks on the door and Jesus comes in, the conversation is really based on what he says, what's in his heart. You say, but it's not practical. Yes, it is. It's practical. Because if it gives you joy, then you have something to bring home. If it gives you wisdom, then you have something to say to your son or your daughter. If, it, if, it, if it's the word of God, then when your wife throws out your chocolate, you know, when, when somebody fails to pay a bill, or when something happens in your life, and even more tragically, sad things happen to us, we're able to have a sure word. Now look at how he describes it. He says it here in verse 19. He says, As a light that shines in a dark place. Now, what he means is, let's say, this is the earth. Half of it is dark. Okay, The sun is shining on one half. We are in the nighttime. So here's the dark place. This is in night. And, and I need something to shine in the night. I need a flashlight at night. I need, I need some point of light. I need something in the dark time. We're living in a dark time, morally and spiritually. I need a light. I need a word. That's what he compares it to. He says the word is like a light in a dark place that shines finish the verse, it shines in a dark place until the day dawn. This means the, the sun is coming up. Well, what is that? That's when we go to heaven. When we go to heaven, the day dawns. Heaven, there's no, 
darkness there when we go to heaven. Our relationships are, are perfect. There's perfect love. There's truth. There's no lie there. There's no darkness in heaven. Until that happens, we have a light in a dark place, which is like the morning star, verse 19. And the day star or morning star arise in your hearts. Morning star is the planet Venus. So the planet Venus it looks like a star, but it isn't. It's a planet. And it shines in the night, like even in a dark night. It's, you can't see the stars, but you can see the planet Venus. That rises in your heart. That little, that little light, Venus, in the morning, in the night, dark night, you see the planet Venus. It arises in your heart. That's how you live now. That's how we have to live. We have to have a memory. It's not a great big, a great big revelation. It is a, a word. It is a pleasant word. It's fitted in your mouth. It governs your heart. Look at verse 20. Knowing this, that no prophecy of the Scripture is any, of any private interpretation, meaning I cannot take the Scripture and use it to prove my point of view. I must be objective about the scripture and read it for what it is saying. And if it is saying homosexuality is sin, then it's not my private interpretation to find some Bible verses to prove another side, because they aren't there. But people say weird things because they wanted to say something. And they may use the Bible, that's called proof texting. Proof texting is taking the Bible and use it to prove my opinion or my way. Proof texting. And we can't do that regarding anything we are believing in. We are, look, we are submitting ourselves to what the Holy Spirit is saying and what the Bible is saying. For private prophecy closing, verse 21, This prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Why do we believe this? Because holy men of God spake by the Holy Spirit. What are we believing? What they wrote. How do we understand it? We meditate on it. We embrace it. We welcome it into our heart. When it's hard to swallow it, when it's hard to swallow it, we take our time before God in faith and worship and submit ourselves and say to God, Lord, that's hard. But I'm trusting you. Show me. Teach me. I remember learning in Hungary that they, the goose livers are big exports in Hungary. They take geese and they overfeed them. And their livers enlarge. And then they slaughter the goose and they export the liver. Goose liver is like a delicacy. But how did they get the geese to overeat? But by stroking their throats, they would just stroke, the, stroke their throat to get them to eat more. Like that's how they did it. And I like to think of it to illustrate, how does the word of God get into you? 
How does the Word of God get into your heart? I think you need help. I think we need help to get the Word in us. We need, we need love to believe it. We need, we need faith to say, yes, this is worthwhile to go to church and to hear the Word and to take notes or to make a note and reread it and work on it and think about it and take it in and believe it and worship the Lord. This is what Peter is saying. He's saying, I am leaving, but I need you to remember my experience was I heard his word on the mount. And your experience is you have a sure word of prophecy that is able to govern your life and lead you, help you, minister to you, comfort you, empower you. Amen. Lord, we take Peter's words 2,000 years later as a word in season for us. For our future, who knows what any of us will face in the years come. But we have a sure word of prophecy. It's like a star in the night that will guide our boat. A star in the night that we can see far off that's enough in the dark night of life. A star of truth that tells us we will not die, we will fly away. It tells us we will return. It tells us the marriage supper of the Lamb is ours. We are invited and many other things. Maybe somebody is being told by God right now in your heart that you need to get right with God, to bring your stuff to God and say, Lord, help me, forgive me. Fill me with your spirit, that I would go from here today filled with your spirit, comforted. If not this very moment, then sometime during the day, or the night, or tomorrow, or in your will, please show me and fill me and satisfy me and comfort me and love me and forgive me and wash me. Yes, Lord, that we would walk by faith in you. What you say for you are, you are not far away. You are near us. In Jesus' name. We pray, amen, amen.